Welcome back to the Wannabe Hunting Podcast, or welcome if it is your first time listening. We appreciate you stopping by, taking a few minutes to listen to the podcast today. And today I'm excited about the conversation I had with Mr. Jacob Coons from Kentucky, and he's talking all about elk hunting. However, he's talking about elk hunting east of the Mississippi River, and uh, this is a pretty unique um, conversation uh, that I uh, really was excited to learn more about. Um, you see a ton on uh, on Instagram, or YouTube, or wherever you're at about elk hunting, and it looks amazing, and you hear so many great things about uh, how good the meat is and everything, and uh, you know, it's just kind of a dream, especially for some of us guys who are uh, very close to the East Coast, uh, way down here uh, in Florida and places like that. You know, it seems almost unattainable to uh, get out for an elk hunt. Uh, uh, well, not unattainable, but uh, but pretty challenging. So it's pretty cool to find out that there's some opportunities much closer than uh, than I thought, maybe than you thought, uh, here in some of the eastern states that have... Uh, elk populations that are growing and thriving since being reintroduced and I think it's it's awesome I think it's fantastic you know it's part of the elk uh, you know natural range where they used to used to be and they've been reintroduced and they're healthy enough that uh, they can literally have hunting seasons in Kentucky and Pennsylvania um, and uh, Virginia this year and some other some other states uh, either already available or coming up soon so uh, it's exciting stuff, and Jacob gives all the details on kind of how it works, um, what your draw odds are in certain states, and how their seasons work, and uh, he is extremely knowledgeable and well-spoken on uh, this subject for sure, and probably many others. Um, smart guy, uh, he's written some guides to help help you with the process if you're interested in that, but he's extremely um, uh, willing to just uh, give you some information if you shoot him a message on Instagram. It's at J underscore uh, Coons underscore Hunts. Anyway, um, so if you are interested in, in chasing some elk, particularly in the East, although he's done a Western guide as well, um, uh, it's it's pretty good stuff. So you're, you're going to want to check out his stuff. But without further ado, we'll jump into today's episode so you can hear what he has to say uh, much better than I. So appreciate y'all stopping by. Enjoy this one with Jacob Coons. Welcome back to the Wannabe Hunting Podcast. And we have a special conversation today. I'm joined by Jacob Coons, and he's going to talk a little bit about some Eastern elk hunting opportunities. So I'm excited to learn about this. Um, you know, kind of a, a new phenomenon, you might say, um, on the hunting landscape. But the interesting thing to me is um, the fact that, you know, it, it was at one time, you know, home range for, for elk. So to me, that's even uh, even more cool that they've been reintroduced. So, Jacob, thanks for uh, joining me today. Hey, Amos, I appreciate you having me. And I uh, look forward to talking a little bit about... Uh, all things Eastern elk. I think a lot of folks are interested in heading west of the Mississippi to hunt elk in you know states like Colorado and, and Wyoming and Montana. But um, the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation has done an incredible job 
of partnering with states and really reintroducing elk into new or into areas that they once previously inhabited. And as a result, it really presents some new opportunities for us that are east of the Mississippi for, for hunting elk. Um, it's a little bit different and we'll talk, we'll hopefully get a chance to dive into that yeah. a little different than going out West where there's millions of acres of public land versus, you know, some of our States, we have smaller tracts of public land, but, uh, it's definitely an adventure that can be close to home for hopefully a lot of the folks that, that are listening to, to this podcast. Yeah, that is, uh, that is super interesting to me. And, uh, I was hoping I didn't make any, uh, factual errors in, uh, in my opening statement there, but, uh, <laughs> sounds like, uh, you know, I kind of understand how, you know, they've reintroduced the elk, but, um, I think it's a, is awesome to think about for someone like me, you know, we do the wannabe hunting podcast and, you know, we're, we're at work and we're, we're taking care of things. And, uh, you know, I like to take the mindset. We don't complain about the day job and we don't complain about family time, but you know, we want to be hunting, you know, we, we want to be out there and, um, you know, depending on your budget and things like that, you know, a trip to, uh, Montana or, uh, Colorado may not be in the cards for you, but you might can jump in the truck and drive, uh, six, eight, 10 hours and, you know, be hunting elk that close to your home. That's pretty cool for some of us guys, you know, here in North Florida or even in Georgia, you know, can make a trip up to, uh, you know, to one of these States that has, that now has elk hunting opportunities. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. So I live in Kentucky and about 25 years ago, they reintroduced, uh, elk here in, in Kentucky and they pulled elk from, um, I, I think primarily, well, actually it was from several different States and they wanted to create, uh, a genetic diversity. Uh, I think they, I know they pulled elk from Utah. Uh, I think Arizona, Oregon, and, um, I think even states like New Mexico and North Dakota, and they wanted to create a genetic diversity within this elk herd that would, um, I guess, so there wouldn't be uh, certain types of uh, uh, diseases or other things that would impact them. So ultimately, the Kentucky elk herd is somewhere north of 10,000. Some folks would say 13,000. Some would say 14,000. Uh, really depends on who you're asking. But it's, it is the, the largest elk herd east of the Mississippi. Mm. And as a result, other states are really trying to model their own elk herd after what Kentucky has done or do some iteration. And there's certainly Kentucky is doing sort of paying it forward by giving other states like Virginia uh, elk to help um, with their elk herd to, to grow their elk herd or establish an elk herd. And so, I mean, there's a lot of States now, uh, West Virginia, uh, I mentioned Virginia, uh, Missouri, North Carolina, Michigan, Minnesota, Wisconsin. Uh, these are all States that are either have a newly established elk herd or reestablishing their elk herd. And it's really interesting. And, and not all of these are open to hunting yet. And right. not, all, not all of them are open to non-resident hunting. Some of them are resident only, but they, they do present, a, again, a, an opportunity for folks like you and I that maybe, you know, 
maybe you want to drive 25 hours to a Western state and get an incredible experience there to hunt elk. But you also want to have in your back pocket these, you want to stay on top of these opportunities that are quote unquote local. So maybe, uh, you know, you want to include your kids or maybe you're, you know, you have a lot of home responsibilities. So an eight hour drive to another state to hunt, you know, a once in a lifetime hunt, so to speak, is, is really feasible. Uh, as opposed to driving and traveling from a Florida or a Kentucky to, you know, to a, uh, an Idaho or a Montana or something like that. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, that was just kind of what popped in my head as a way of looking at it. Um, of course, there's a whole lot of other aspects involved, but that's pretty cool. Is it is it primarily the uh, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation working with the state agencies in pretty much all of these cases, or I guess there's some other groups involved or just primarily them? Yeah, I, I think I know that there's some other groups involved. And but I think if you, you know, talk to each of those states, the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation has the support and the funding to help fuel uh, this reintegration process. And they have the experience. Yeah. And so, I, I mean, I'm not affiliated with Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. I don't know, you know, people personally there, but just from my own um, education and understanding. And so uh, when they, um, if you look at, uh, I had a chance to hunt Pennsylvania elk, um, on a, on a 2021 tag. Now the, the hunt was this past January. So 2022, but the tag was for 2021 season. Mm. It was just a late, late season tag. So, um, there's a town, uh, several towns in central Pennsylvania. It's just, it's just, it's actually near state college, Pennsylvania. Okay. And, um, it's, it's the, the areas that these states are looking at are rural in nature and, and agriculture is not a primary function in that area mm. or a primary, um, yeah, I guess a primary function. So, uh, for example, in Eastern Kentucky, uh, you have, you had coal mining in, in Appalachia and, and, and strip mining. And right. what happened is after, you know, there is still a little bit of a coal industry there. It's not as maybe what it once used to be, of course, but what, what happens is now you have these mountaintop ranges that are, are, are basically clear cut in a way. And now you have these warm season grasses or these natural grasses that grow and, and it's a really great habitat for elk to thrive in. It's not because elk are, are grazers. They're not like our white-tailed deer are browsers. Elk are grazers. And so certainly elk will kill an acorn crop. They will crush acorns, but they, they do need a mix of grasses in their diet. And so in Eastern Kentucky, it really works well because there's not a lot of agriculture. Like, so there's not a lot of conflict with farmers or farmland or, you know, they're trying to minimize property destruction. They don't want to bring in these elk only to have constant conflict. Now, right. again, you could talk to locals and, and they may have a different opinion. Local farmers may say, you know, kill them all. But, uh, but, but the primary, you know, crop might in Eastern Kentucky might be a tobacco or something like that. It's not a corn and soybean sort of thing. And, and that's sort of the same thing, 
um, in the area that I was hunting in Pennsylvania, where, the, you know, there's certainly some croplands, but these were areas that are, that elk have, it's a little bit of a dis- different history in Pennsylvania, but um, they, they're, they're thriving there. There's some conflict, but not, you know, not a whole lot. The state's doing a good job of managing that. And uh, it's a rural area that uh, honestly, the, the, the tourism component of it brings in about a million dollars to that local community annually. And this, this is uh, in, in Pennsylvania. So it's a real, it can be a real economic boon to an area that could really use that, you know, could really use that tourism and that sort of thing. So. Yeah, no doubt. I can, I can envision a family vacation going to a state park in uh, Tennessee or Kentucky. And that would be pretty awesome to take the family up there and, uh, you know, bust out with binoculars and see some elk. In person. Yeah, they, it, like it's that. a, you know, my understanding of it is, uh, it, it, at least in Pennsylvania, where I think they do a really good job of promoting uh, what they have going there. They, they Each state, as, as you can imagine, does things a little differently. Right. And the Pennsylvania Game Commission uh, has a really does a really strong job of promoting it. And I think if you were to go there in September, you would think you were... Disneyland, it's, it may be a little crowded. Like there's a lot of people that travel to that area just to hear the elk rut and, and bugling and, and to see elk chasing. And there's photographers and there's people like me that hunt and just have an admiration for elk. And, and so, uh, so yeah, yeah. It, I've thought, I've given it a lot of thought too around uh, the September timeframe, maybe trying to catch a Penn state football game and, and, and then, you know, try to, to, to watch the elk rut. Uh, as an observer yeah that'd be really cool man um i'm not a penn state fan but i'm a big college football fan so i, I can definitely appreciate that it'd be a cool uh, stadium to experience you know actually hearing an elk bugle on something other than youtube would be pretty cool for me for sure yeah yeah it, it is amazing i i mean i've had the chance to hunt elk out west i i i, I killed a bull with my bow in montana in 2018 and it was, I, I believe it was September 10th and it was, it is truly incredible. And, and I, I know uh, you and I are sort of in the South and, and turkey hunting reigns supreme. And, and right. when you hear a turkey gobble, maybe that first opening morning and it's nearby and it makes the hair stand up in your arms, you just, it's a little bit like that, you know, but you, you know, it's a little different still. Cause you've, you know, you and I, are in you know in, in a different part of the country when you go out to those mountains and you hear elk bugling and they're going nuts there's, there's a hot cow and, and that's exactly the scenario that i experienced when i was out there this was my first time elk hunting and and, and, and everything came together yeah it cut out right as you were saying everything kind of came together for you on that uh on that first hunt yeah you know had it we, we went out to montana in 2018 and and in september 10th the uh the elk really the rut really kind of started in this particular area uh there was clearly a hot cow and and it's just incredible it's like i i don't know if you caught this earlier but you and i live in the south we like to turkey hunt or Mm -hmm. most you know most people do in the in the south and 
and when you hear elk bugle it is it's really an incredible sound and 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 it's like the turkey hunt but maybe <laughs> times 100 so yeah uh, at least for me yeah yeah i can only imagine you know i i like the turkey hunt for sure and it's uh it's awesome but i can only imagine you know when you when you get a chance to harvest an elk there's a there's a pretty big payoff as far as the meat and you know compared to a turkey that would be pretty awesome i guess for one thing <laughs> yeah 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 there's definitely a different ask of you to to pack out an elk whether it's uh, in an eastern state or or if it's um you know in a you know mountainous western state and um the you know for your listeners i mean you and i've talked a lot about kentucky and pennsylvania but and i mentioned virginia so this year virginia had their is having their first uh draw for their first elk hunt for their herd and uh, while it's it's too late to put in for it now i would encourage your listeners to put it on their calendar for next year as something to put in for there's there's no point system and there is um so that what that means is that even though you missed out this year next year it's a brand new draw and you have as much uh luck or odds as good odds as anyone else right and and uh and they're they're drawing for five elk tags this year and you know it it really uh who knows what it'll be next year or five years from now and while that's a really low number it's a twenty dollar it's twenty dollars to put in for it and if you get drawn i mean i'm sure it's going to be a pretty amazing experience and certainly a unique experience and and that is that point system the fact that it has no point system is is exactly what we have here in kentucky so Mm uh in kentucky there's about 600 folks that are drawn every year depending on what the you know what the department of fish and wildlife resources determines and so because our herd is so much more there's there's a lot more tags drawn and there's archery and then there's a uh a late season and there's a uh actually there's quite a few seasons actually there's a youth season mixed in there here in kentucky so there's quite a few different opportunities for people to get drawn and to put in for those different seasons it's like ten dollars uh, an application wow yeah that's not bad <laughs> yeah yeah so it's um and like i said it's been 25 years uh of, of history with elk here in kentucky and then as we look at uh, West Virginia, as I mentioned earlier, there's, there's a herd, they're, they're growing there. And if, if you were to sort of look on a map, you can see that it, it connects to really closely to where uh, Kentucky is with their elk herd in that region of the country or that region of those, those states. And then um, Missouri and North Carolina also have an, a growing elk herd, but they don't have hunting yet. So who knows what their systems will look like. They may not include residents or they may include residents, but right. if those, you know, the, the folks that, you know, your audience is interested, it would be important to stay close to those States as well, because they could really get ahead of the curve, you know, as compared to say other folks who might not be uh, aware of the growing elk herds in those States. Yeah, absolutely. And, you kind of already already answered my next question by going into some of the, uh, you know, the draw processes and you know kind of what's going on. But kind of just jumping back to what you were just saying, 
you know, um, I don't know how recently it, it was, but it was pretty recently that I found out there was any elk hunting, um, you know, east of the Mississippi, um, which I know hasn't been for a ton of years, but, uh, or, you know, how long Kentucky's been, been open as far as that goes. But, you know, I, I just didn't even realize it was available. And I think I'm sure a lot of people are probably in that boat, even that, you know, are quote unquote into hunting. Yeah. You know, one of the things I like about, you know, the, the, the tone of your podcast, is, you know, the wannabe hunting and want to be hunter is I, I, you know, I grew up hunting uh, with my dad and um, I did that until my teens, but I really didn't get into hunting in a serious way, Amos, until about 10 years ago. And so I would say I'm more of an adult onset hunter. And uh, because when I was hunting as a teenager, that was like 88, 89 to like 91 was really, you know, my teenage hunting years. And, and I had killed uh, a couple bucks and I remember, uh, gosh, I mean, it was uh, no regard for the wind. We sort of knew what rubs were. We didn't really, I don't think we knew about scrape hunting. Um, I would wear sweatpants, jeans, and then hunting pants over that. And then it was, uh, you know, I, I had a, a pair of Wolverine. I remember having a pair of Wolverine boots and, and th- I mean, this is a kid, there's no range finder. You maybe had a safety harness. You maybe didn't. You had, uh, I had a canteen of water, a sandwich and a kudos bar for my, <laughs> for my snack. And. And, and there just wasn't a lot of strategy involved and there wasn't a lot of, you know, my dad would say, okay, go up on that Ridge and find a good tree. And, and so, you know, I enjoyed it, you know, to be, to share the experience with my dad, especially if he got one. And, and like I said, I killed a couple deer with my bow, but it, it was, uh, there was a disconnect there that I didn't really, it didn't really, I didn't really connect with. And so, I didn't, you know, I didn't think about the, the whole idea of where our food comes from, you know, and, and that's really big and prevalent and hunting to get today is like, hey, you know, I want to eat clean, uh, lean, wild game. I don't necessarily want to buy all my food from the grocery store. And uh, and so as I got older, as I, uh, you know, again, back in, in, I guess, 10 years ago, 2012, I had, you know, I had been, I was married, I was having kids, you know, career was in full swing and I was doing a lot of stuff with sports, um, as a, you know, men's soccer league and a men's flag football league and all these other things. But I remember grabbing a field and stream and an outdoor life one day, like at the grocery store. And I just remember seeing these things and I thought, wow, this is really interesting like these are it just sort of i it caught something in me that i was like wasn't being fulfilled by playing you know flag football or, or, or soccer or these other things yeah. and, and uh and so and i knew that you know these were sort of like these were life skills that that you know i'm reading in this magazine about you know uh things that that, that really um 
are more meaningful, I would say, than, than learning, you know, flag football or whatever. So in things that I could share with my kids, I think that that was the other component of it is that I, you know, I wanted to pull the kids into the outdoors because I know the value of the outdoors to me. And I also want them to be more attracted to the adventure of the outdoors than to get caught up into the fake adventure that could be, could be offered, you know, by peer groups at school or outside of school or whatever. I want them to be like, so engaged with like, yeah, that's, that stuff isn't so great for you. And it's not that interesting because I got to get up early and, and I go deer hunting in the morning or whatever. Yeah. Um, so, so that was really, you know, you know, going back in time and, and, and I remember the learning about elk in, in Kentucky and, and thinking, oh, well, I should put in for this. I don't know how to hunt them. I don't know what I would do if I did, <laughs> but, but I know that I'm up for the adventure because this is where I live. And, uh, and, and thankfully I, I did that with Pennsylvania. And I think that that's one of the reasons, like I was, when I was in Pennsylvania, I was talking to other, other guys that were bow hunting deer and they were like, Oh, I, I, I've never put in for the elk hunt. And I'm like, you live here <laughs> there. You get elk on your trail cameras. <laughs> How can you not want to put in for, for Pennsylvania elk? And, uh-huh. and so I guess one of the reasons why I wanted to have a conversation with you is that for you, for your audience, if, you know, if they have any interest, I mean, the, uh, the draw odds are, 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 are difficult, but uh, there are people in Pennsylvania that live in elk country that are not putting in for Pennsylvania elk. And I'm sure there's folks in Kentucky and I'm sure there's folks in Virginia and in the other States that we've talked about where they don't even put in for the game that they're, you know, that they have there in their backyard. So yeah, it, it's something that, um, you know, I've been on this this hunting journey, and I can tell you, it's it's uh, it's really worth it. Even if even if a listener has just a mild interest in in learning about elk and elk hunting, it's it's definitely worth it. As we've discussed, if if they want to pursue it in their backyard. Yeah, yeah, that's that's kind of interesting that you brought that up. You know, because a lot of people probably would think, well, you know, all the people who live there, you know, putting in, or all these people, but you know, some of them aren't thinking about it, or or aren't interested for whatever reason. So it's, it's a prime opportunity. And, you know, with Virginia, you know, even if there's only five tags, it's like, wouldn't you rather have five people have a chance to hunt elk in Virginia than none, you know, and you could be one of the five guy put in. That's right. That's right. And the more that we su- support these things with our dollars, the more States will look at this as, as a, an opportunity for you know for revenue and the more say that we have as hunters in in what goes on in our in in, in the eastern part of our country or in, the, in in our respective states and um and, and i think we've all have heard that message that we need more folks hunting because we need to have a broader and, and louder voice so that things that are happening like in Washington state or California or some of these other states as it relates to predator hunting 
or hunting with hounds. Uh, those are important issues. And the more voices that we have at the table, uh, the more we can push back and fight back and say, no, you're, you're not going to take that from us. So, um, so, so yeah, putting in for, you know, another state, you know, $20 for elk in Virginia or, or 30 here in Kentucky or whatever, it's really, it's, it's not a whole lot of money to, to spend. It gives you an opportunity and an incredible experience and it's, it's communicating your voice that, Hey, this is really important. It's important to have elk in in the eastern united states yeah absolutely and i'm all for any way you support hunting but uh you know money does talk and so like you said putting dollars toward it um via the tags and draws and um supporting organizations like rocky mountain elk and all that it all adds up to uh to make the voice louder and that's exactly what we need so yeah, I think I think there's a lot of us that might think, oh, they could never take away X from us. And I don't want to sidetrack our conversation off of the original topic, but I do think it's important that they, you know, you know, they took away spring bear hunting in Washington state. And and you know, and you can't hunt mountain lions in California. And there's other things that states will chip away at well like i mentioned like trapping is a is low-hanging fruit or hunting with hounds is low-hanging fruit or uh you know things that you know maybe aren't as quote-unquote popular or mainstream as maybe they once were and i'm and those you know those of your audience that are there in florida with you i would encourage them to get connected to sportsman's alliance uh, or other organizations like Sportsman's Alliance that will fight uh, these these things uh, that are sort of these these other I guess legislative actions that are chipping trying to chip away at our hunting rights because eventually what they'll get down to is is you know when you reintroduce wolves into Colorado uh, it's not necessarily maybe people love wolves but the more wolves you have the less uh, elk you have, the less elk you have, the, the less hunters that you, the less tags you have for hunting. Right. So it, it's all really connected. And so yeah. ultimately, um, it's all, uh, it's, it should all be important to all of us because we can't let them sort of chip it away. Cause eventually it could be, Hey, you know what? White-tailed deer needs to be, you know, how we hunt white-tailed deer needs to change or how we hunt turkeys needs to change or we want to need to take away all predator hunting, all coyote hunting or whatever it may be, which sounds ridiculous on the surface, but it's not when we, you know, look at the goals of these other, you know, anti-hunting organizations. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I'm I'm going to purposely not go as off topic as I could, but um it's uh it's one of those things where certain groups or government if you will if they say one one thing is uh is disposable they can they can come after another and uh so that's that's kind of the way i think of hunting you know if if they can take away hunting with hounds you know what are they coming for next you know uh or or you know on down the line i mean just as an example so it's very true that you gotta in a in a big sense we have to stick together as hunters to uh protect it all you know so i i don't have hounds but i'll be glad to uh 
you know, support, support that as, as a way of hunting and, and things like that, because it all ties together, you know, exactly like, like you said, you, I think you said it better than me, but you know, kind of like your example with reintroducing wolves and stuff like that. It's like, that's all fine and dandy, but you know, here's what the end result uh, can be or, or will be even likely if, uh, if things continue down that path. So definitely a good, good thing for all of us to consider. Absolutely. Absolutely. But, uh, man, is there anything else you want to mention specifically now? Um, you've mentioned a lot already on, uh, like kind of applying for draws and what some of the costs are and some of the states are. Um, so I've already learned, uh, plenty from that, but is there anything else you you want to mention in regards to applying for some of these Eastern states for elk tags or anything you want to add to that, that aspect of it? Yeah. So for example, uh, mentioned Virginia and Kentucky not having a point system. And the, uh, again, that's a, f- a fresh draw every year. And, uh, you know, a, a, to, to give some value to your listeners. Now, those draws are already in place. And like, for example, this, uh, whenever, I know, whenever this drops, but in early May, few months Virginia tag will be drawn. Virginia uh, application period starts June 1st. So those that are listening that are interested, that's an opportunity. Now there are three different seasons for Pennsylvania. There's an archery season, there's a general season, there's a late season. So you can put in for all three. It's I think it's about 10 or $11 for each of those applications. So again, you're looking at 30 bucks out of pocket. And Tennessee has elk and they have... Uh, uh, a, a draw that's open to non-residents and that opens in June. So again, trying to bring some value to your listeners. There's no, I believe there's no point system there as well. So every year is a fresh draw and they can put in and uh, potentially get drawn. And um, right. now some of these States have non-resident limits to the number of non-residents that they draw. So for example, Kentucky, it's 10% of the draw. So if you have 600, Tags, it's about 60 non-residents. Okay. The, for Pennsylvania, they, didn't, they do not have a limit on Last year, I think the percentage was like 24% non-resident, which huh. tells me that, that that may change someday. Because I imagine, you know, if I'm a Pennsylvania resident, that, you know, that might irritate me a little bit. Yeah. But um, so Pennsylvania doesn't have a limit on non-residents. I don't know if there's a limit with the Tennessee draw or the Virginia draw, but um, those are some dynamics. Now, with the, again, looking at each of these states, something to be aware of is that in Pennsylvania, you pick the zone that you're going to hunt when you apply. Mm -hmm. So there are 13 huntable zones in Pennsylvania, and each zone is is very different than the next, uh, in my opinion. It, it, some of them are very large. Some of them are very small. Uh, Benezet, Pennsylvania, is sort of the, the main uh, town where um, the Elk Visitor Center is in Pennsylvania. And so there's a, a large, several herds of elk that sort of surround that visitor center, but there's no hunting near the visitor center. So, it, so the elk there 
you know, sort of uh, in some ways understand the lines, right? Like stay here, but don't go over here and that sort of thing. Um, and, and that's, I, I shouldn't, that's not completely true, a completely true statement, but the, in Pennsylvania, they, uh, some of the the zones around uh, that around Benazet can be difficult at times based on uh, the time of year that you draw. But some of the other zones that are away from that area, uh, I hunted in zone 13, for example, mm-hmm. last year or this year. And it's about it's a pretty big chunk of public land. And then there's a small amount of private land. And in, if you look at some of the other zones, it might be mostly private. Uh, other, other zones within Pennsylvania are, might be mostly public. And so the experience that you have can vary based on the zone that you're, the type of experience that you're interested in. And um, what happens is a lot of people that draw do hire a guide. So... In fact, 85% of those that draw the Pennsylvania tag hire a guide. Mm. And there's about four good guides, uh, guide companies in the Pennsylvania area. And each of them know certain zones better than other zones. So uh, if, you know, if I'm hunting, you know, zone two, I may want to talk to this guide over here because he lives in that zone or he has a lot of experience in that zone versus say zone 14, which is uh, one of the larger newer zones that uh, has a lot of public land. And, you know, this guide over here might not have as much experience. And so, so when you, for those listening that are interested in learning more about the zones, the Pennsylvania game commission website has, has some information um, I can certainly help help them with additional information if they're like, I, I got to put in 11 bucks for, you know, Pennsylvania archery season, but I don't know what zone to put in for. Right. And, and I don't want to get stuck into a zone that might not be great. And the, the, the harvest rates are incredibly high. So, mm. but, but again, it all goes back to what the experience that you want as a hunter uh, do you want to be able to really stretch your legs and hunt and cover ground on public land? Or do you really, are you just want the largest elk or the easiest hunt? Um, right. Because these, these elk aren't really pressured. And so that's where it's like, it's, it helps to understand the zones a little bit. So if anybody's listening and is like, hey, Jacob, I want to put in for Pennsylvania elk you know, I don't know what zone to put in for. They could certainly reach out to me on, you know, I'm on Instagram and, and, and just ask me, I'll answer any questions that they have. And then, um, whereas, you know, other States like Kentucky, there's a secondary draw for, for your elk unit. They call it unit in Kentucky. And so the secondary draw is completely different. And in some units, there is zero public land. And so, you could actually be putting in for a a place to hunt in Kentucky that has no public land and really put you in a pickle because of the, uh, of the way that that elk draw is set up. So I know we're spending a lot of time on Kentucky and Pennsylvania. um, And and those are the two States that I know the best, but I, I, I think it's just really important for your listeners to, to think about those things as they, as they prepare for one of some of these Eastern elk draws. 
Yeah. And to me, that's super helpful. Helpful, You know, of course, I, I knew pretty much nothing going in, but, um, you know, good to know that that's kind of how it works, at least in those two um, specific um, states. And um, I appreciate you mentioning that people can literally, you know, shoot you a message on Instagram and uh, get more info or some pointers uh, on zones or, or where they're, where they're going or what they're drawing for. So that's, that's fantastic. And beyond that, you've actually written a book about the process. Is that right? Yeah. So I, I, I did, I have, I've written a book for, uh, it's a pencil, Pennsylvania elk hunt planner. And if, if folks by all means want free information, just text me, ping me on Instagram. I'll answer any questions you have, but if you're interested in learning more about the Pennsylvania elk draw and each of those zones and the harvest rates and the, and the harvest locations and those sorts of things, they can check out my book on Amazon. Um, it's 19 bucks and it's, uh, I, I'm really proud of it. I put a lot of work into it and it's something that I'll continue to sort of uh, keep up to date and, and so forth. And, and then uh, the, the, the dynamic with Kentucky is different because I, I, I don't know if I mentioned this, but I hunted elk in Kentucky in 2020 mm-hmm. and I drew a late season cow tag and, um, you have five days to hunt. And as I mentioned, there's a secondary draw with, with, uh, with the state of Kentucky. And so those folks that get drawn in early May, they don't have a place to hunt yet. So they put in for a secondary draw and there are, uh, six huntable units in Kentucky. And within each of those units that you can draw, um, an additional, like sort of like section of private property that is an owned by a mining company. So, mm-hmm. so what I did in 2020 was I got drawn in early May and then you, you start going through the research of understanding, okay, where do I want to hunt? Because there's these different units and each of these units offer different amounts of public land. And each of them, they have these restricted areas that are these, again, the private mining properties. They could have, you know, 20,000, 30,000 acres that you could sort of have to yourself. Um, so you get five choices. And uh, in a way, in my opinion, the way that Kentucky does it is they put 10 pounds of potatoes in a five pound bag. So, uh, you're, <laughs> you may, whatever, so you, you'll get a lot of analytics. You get a lot of information from the state of Kentucky on like, okay, this is what people chose as the top choice last year for where they wanted to go. And you can see the breakdown of the seasons. And, and so let's just say, um, there's a, a restricted area by the name of czar uh, in, in Kentucky. And I think it's in, it might be in unit seven. And I don't have my map in front of me, but, um, it's a very popular one because the elk there are very friendly and they're easy to shoot. And, uh, and so they only select two hunters and let's say 20 elk hunters put in for that spot. You know, do you, uh, Amos, if you get drawn, do you want to go after that? Like, do you want to be one of the 20 or do you want to identify another restricted area that is maybe 
has similar, you know, landscape and, and, and an opportunity, but not nearly as many competing for that, those two spots. Right. Right. So there's a real analytical side to the secondary draw. And so I, I, I created a, the Kentucky elk hunt planner that's really designed for people that have been drawn uh, mm-hmm. because of that secondary draw component. I mean, folks that might, that are interested that might be listening by all means, please check out the book. If you want to purchase it, I would greatly appreciate it. Or if you just want to ask me questions about the Kentucky draw, please do so. But the emphasis of that book, at least initially, is the analytics and applying some analytics to your secondary draw strategy because you don't want to get pushed into a unit that has zero private or zero public land and then you're forced to knock on doors to get access to hunting. Yeah. And, and so that's where I think I talked a little bit about this at the beginning is that that's where if you go out west and you find millions of acres of public land to hunt, you can just roam. But when you hunt eastern elk, it's a little different because of the, you know, the, the amount of public land and the private land and, and, the, and sort of the way that they bump up against each other. You have to be really cognizant and aware of, you know, where are the elk? They, they yeah. might be on private land and you have to adjust to that if you don't have a big enough piece of property to hunt yeah. um, in your particular unit or zone. Yeah. Yeah. That's good info. And, you know, for me, obviously um, either, either here coming up in the next couple months or next year, you know, I'll definitely be putting in, putting in for, for some of these and, uh, I most likely will be messaging you, especially if, uh, if I get anything positive back, but, uh, that, that would be, that'd be pretty cool too. Like you said, to have something that specific, um, if you do get drawn and you like say, if I got drawn for Kentucky, you know, that'd be well worth it to me to, uh, to, you know, to get that book or whatever, to have the point of reference, you know, start yeah. zero, you know, in, in, and I, and I, and I bring, you know, I, I, I haven't shared this, but I have a background um, in education. I, I got a uh, undergrad in business and a master's in teaching. And in Amos, I just enjoy the learning process and I enjoy putting content together. And so I, I, I would do this. Uh, I would I would write these books and these planners. I'm just doing them honestly for myself, but I really enjoy, I genuinely enjoy sharing information to help others. It's something that is innate in me. And I'm actually going to publish a Western elk hunt planner for folks that are going to, you know, if you, if anybody that's listening is going out West, that's maybe they got a buy, they're buying an over the counter Colorado tag, or maybe they drew another state. But what I do in that text is a little different than the other two. It's really, how do you develop your own hunt objective? Uh, and then what are the, how do you develop your hunt plan? And then what are the systems that you create to ensure that you maximize your five days of hunting or your seven days of hunting or whatever it is? Because you and I both know you drive 25, 30 hours out West. Every single minute is so critical because if you if you spend i mean a day goes by in an hour <laughs> i mean it's just uh, and so and so if 
if you want to put together a buttoned up plan for a Western elk hunt, and you want to have a checklist that helps you with all the things that you need, and you want to have understand the gear and the logistics and and how to create all this stuff to make it work. I, then I'm going to have that out probably within the next couple of weeks. And, uh, and, and again, it won't, it's very inexpensive, but the idea is that these are just things that I've learned, uh, over the, the few years as an Eastern elk hunter and, and put on paper so that it can help reduce the learning curve of folks that are, that are interested in going West. And, um, because I've, I've done both. I, I've had a, a, my first trip in 2018, the, the plan was as tight as a drum. And I, and I killed an elk in 2020. I went back out there and the plan wasn't as tight and I didn't fill that tag. And so, and that's on me. And, and it was a different dynamic. There was wolves and there was more pressure because of, you know, COVID and, and 2020 people are, you know, back in the back country more than, than, you know, than the normal. Right. So, so there were other factors, but, uh, but I could have done better in terms of, uh, of, of planning, you're creating plan, not only plan A and B, but C, D, E, F, G, H, and I. And so I didn't do that. And so really that's where a lot of, you know, my uh, motivation comes is trying to help others not have, you know, bad experiences because the, 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 the harvest rate for a Western elk is like, is 10% or less. Uh, right. so, you know, it's not like, um, the low seventies or 90% in say Pennsylvania or the 60% in Kentucky, Kentucky, it's 10, 10% or less. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. And, and I love it. You know, I love the approach and the mindset, you know, kind of the idea behind it. So I think that's pretty awesome. And, uh, that'd be cool. That'll be cool to have that out. Cause obviously, you know, like I said, that's kind of the only opportunity I even thought of. So, you know, I'm sure people are, are thinking of that and looking for resources. So that's definitely cool. Well, man, I have enjoyed talking. It's, it's been very educational for me, but I've definitely enjoyed it. Enjoyed, uh, you know, getting to know a little bit more about you and kind of what you've, what you've done and what you're building as far as the, uh, the resources for, for Eastern elk hunting particularly and all that. So man, Jacob, I appreciate it. If there's anything you want to add now or, uh, anywhere you want to direct everybody, I already mentioned the books and, uh, you know, to shoot you a message on Instagram for anybody with questions, but, uh, yeah, add anything to it. Yeah. It's, it's Jay Coons, C-O-O-N-S hunts, uh, Jay Coons hunts or, uh, Jacob Coons on Instagram. Uh, the books are on Amazon. And like I said, you could message me a thousand questions. I'll answer them all. Uh, cause the idea here is to help other, other folks. And I just enjoy talking about this and, and again, going back in time to when I was a sort of an adult onset hunter uh, 10 years ago, it was, I didn't know really where to start. And, and I was trying to sort of peel that onion. Mm-hmm. And uh, so anybody that I can help in that fashion, I, I'm happy to help them. So, but Amos, I really do appreciate the opportunity to connect. I appreciate the opportunity to just talk hunting and uh, appreciate uh, your listeners as well. Awesome, man. Awesome. Really appreciate it. Hope you have a good, uh, good rest of your day and good luck on your draws, man. You as well. Thank you. Appreciate it. I don't know about y'all, but I enjoyed that. 
Uh, Jacob was a great guest to have on, uh, extremely knowledgeable in the subject we were covering, and uh, like I said uh, in the intro, I'm just excited now to, uh, you know, put in for an elk tag here, um, maybe in the next year, and, uh, you know, just see what happens, and uh, I think it'd be too cool to, uh, you know, to go elk hunting, and, uh, you know, the possibility of doing it without a 30 plus hour drive for me here. Uh, from Florida is uh, is really exciting. So, cool stuff from Jacob. Again, check out his uh, books on Amazon um, if you're if you're really interested or really looking into this stuff. Um, but definitely, if nothing else, give him a follow on Instagram. And if you ever have a question about elk hunting, putting in for your tags, just shoot him a message, and uh, he will help you the best he can, as he as he said. And um, you know, who knows, you know, you may be able to, uh, have some success like he did. Um, you'll see on the, on the cover photo for this album, uh, for this album, for this episode and, uh, on the Instagram posts and everything, the, uh, picture of that, uh, Pennsylvania elk that he, uh, that he was able to tag. And that's, that's a pretty awesome looking animal. Um, but even more so than that, uh, awesome tasting animal and an awesome uh, experience for him. So cool stuff. I uh, hope y'all enjoyed this one. I, I really did. Um, you know, I, I was kind of thinking jokingly to myself, you know, that things got a little, a little Western on the old, uh, wannabe hunting podcast, even though, uh, really they were still Eastern. But anyway, I appreciate y'all listening and appreciate, uh, Jacob coming on. Great stuff. And, uh, Hope you all have a great uh, season. If you're finishing out spring turkey, good luck. If you're already uh, planting food plots, totally turn the corner and running trail cameras for deer, good luck. We'll have lots to come on that. And if you're thinking about uh, some elk hunting, uh, good luck on that. So we appreciate everybody listening and supporting. Thanks so much. As always, honor God, work hard, have fun, and keep hunting. <laughs>